This is the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. Hi, this is Scott Ensminger, one of the co-hosts of the Pathways Podcast, and you're hearing the Pathways Podcast on a different podcast of ours here at Christ Church because we just wanted you to hear some of the stories that we have been having conversations with for people for the past few months now on the Pathways Podcast uh, that celebrate the 70 years of Christ Church. There's everything from former pastors on it uh, to some of our church families to uh, some of our elders here at Christ Church, but just wanted to give you... Uh, an opportunity to be able to hear these stories and just see what God has done uh, through the last 70 years at Christ Church for Nago. I want to thank you for listening to the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. My name is Scott Ensminger, one of the co-hosts of the Pathways Podcast. And uh, for the past uh, three podcasts, we have been walking through uh, the 70th uh, anniversary of the church and talking to different people about that. And uh, as we do this one today, actually, this is the fourth one that we'll be doing. And this one is with, with our current senior minister, Mark Christian. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. So you get to follow the mayor, Lynn Ragsdale, <laughs> on these. But uh, as we get started uh, talking about the 70 years of Christ or Chorinogo, Mark, just love for you just to start with, when was the first time you ever heard of the church? Well, this is funny for those of you that are uh, listening to this. Scott and I probably were in the same room when this happened because we both laughed about it. The first time I ever heard of Christ Church of Ornogo, I was at the National Preaching Summit in Indianapolis. A mutual friend of ours, Jeff Fall, put this together, and it was something when I was uh, at the church in Michigan before we came here. Uh, I went down with a bunch of buddies to hang out there and to talk about preaching, and I remember them talking about church growth, and it was on the back end of that movement where the the style and systems of church growth were kind of being exposed to being helpful but not actually producing what they promised. And someone stood up and said the only example to a mega church that they knew of that was not in a major metropolitan area was this little church in Missouri that was bigger than the town it existed in. And they said they didn't have any idea why it was, but it was one of the only mega churches in the United States that was not metropolitan. And they said they do everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just remember hearing about that. And I was more intrigued about the name Christ Church because when I was never thought I'd be a church planter, and I never have been, thank the Lord. But one of the things I always thought about was the most distinct name for a church to keep it crystal clear as to what it exists would be Christ Church. I knew of a Christ Church of Georgetown in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I, when I heard the name of that church, I thought, you know, if I ever would start a church, I'd want to name it Christ Church. So it's, it's strange to me to be at Christ Church of Orinogo after those two moments in time. So when, when, uh, when Lynn Raxell stepped down, I was asked to kind of be a part of that team that was going to decide or kind of figure out, pull names together and your name came in, uh, I think, from Andy Hansen was one of the times that it was mentioned. It was mentioned a couple different times in there. Um, and I know that's someone that uh, Andy's a friend of yours. But had you ever been to Christ Church or ever been out here before uh, or really had conversations with anybody here before that first initial phone call, I guess? No, oh, absolutely not. Um I was teaching full-time at Great Lakes Christian College when the, my phone rang in my office, and I never answered my phone in my office because I was between classes. But I, 
I had an off session, and so I just picked up the phone, and it was Peter Buckland introduced himself. And that's the first time I had known of anybody here. Andy Hansen had said to me, there were a couple summers that I was pretty despondent traveling with CIY, and Andy was giving me encouragement and a pep talk. And he said to me that, he said, you know, if our preacher ever decides to do something different, I think you would be a good fit at Christ Church. And I smiled and thought, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a huge church. They're not going to pick me. And, uh, and the thought of living in Missouri was off script. But uh, yeah, at the end of it, I'd never met anybody and knew anything about it except Andy Hansen mentioning it two or three times in our friendship that he thought it might be a good fit one day. Okay, so do you remember much about that initial even phone call with Buckland about any of anything? Yeah, I had just, when he contacted me in the fall of 2008, in the fall of 2007, my time at uh, First Church in Mount Pleasant was coming to an end. And the elders and I had a conclusion that it was time to go a different direction. So I was just teaching full-time at the college and traveling to speak for them on the weekends as they needed me to, and attending the campus ministry church that we helped start in Mount Pleasant. And uh, so when he called me, I had no more interest in going back into full-time ministry at that time because Heather and I had just made this big emotional decision to leave First Church. And so to get a phone call that soon afterwards was, we were kind of like, yeah, no, <laughs> this isn't the right time for us. Because there were quite a few phone calls just to even get you to come in. I mean, to really even have a conversation with us, right? Yeah. So, and then we, I think it was myself, Peter Buckland, Scott Boudreau. Yes. Was and, that? And yeah, you. And Alan Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. You four. Yes. Yeah. So we flew out to Indianapolis and and we met there and kind of and just talked about the possibility of the church. So we could tell, though, that it was you were very hesitant to even really kind of have that conversation a little bit. Yeah, and just for clarity's sake, I don't want anybody hearing this to think I was too good to come to no, Orlando. I didn't think that at all. I was overwhelmed by the fact that there were some not personal moral failures, but but I didn't feel like I was leading well and. That many of the expectations of a of a minister in a church of three hundred was was outside of my gifting and uh, or comfort whatever you want to call it, but I think it was gifting, and so I was pretty much like I needed to get out of the way so first church could really take off and grow with a, a new leader style of leadership. So when you all offered me this at a church of eighteen hundred, I, I was laughing inside like you have no idea you're asking a kid from the single A's to try to play in the majors. And that's how I felt. So when you called me, it wasn't a hesitancy to do ministry. It was like, now you need someone different than me. Yeah, see, anybody that does that likes sports analogy, um, we, we felt like that what we found was Steve Young on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he needed to <laughs> he needed to come over here to the 49ers because I hated the 49ers, but they beat the Saints all the time. And when they got <laughs> so when Steve Young got there, I was like, oh no, not another Hall of Famer. So that's how we felt about you though, um, coming and doing that. So um, we'd just love for you just to talk through a little bit of uh, you know interaction with the elders and just getting to Christ Church, kind of what that was like for your family. Yeah, they, uh, Peter Buckland asked me to come, asked our family to come uh, in January of 2009. And he just said, you're not going to preach. We're going to have you meet some staff, but we want you to come just see who we are. And so my wife and I really had a big decision. Like, I always believed you don't flirt with job opportunities. In fact, I have some friends who flirted with churches, and I felt it was unfair. If you weren't really interested in considering it, don't waste their time and energy. Because as you you and I have talked, 
as you hire, it's quite an expenditure of energy and time and commitment to, to bring a family in, to find out if it's a good fit, to go through all of that. And that takes you away from your daily responsibilities. So I didn't want to waste Christchurch time. But Peter was very persistent that just come, spend a weekend. That's all we're asking you to do. Come to church with us. And so my wife and I decided uh, that we would. She was not excited about that because she felt like I'd maybe had decided I was interested when I was telling her on the other side I wasn't. But we came in January with our oldest son and just came for a weekend. And there were some amazing things that took place. But in that, we had a conversation with the elders. And um, they started sharing their vision for the church. And the only thing that I remember leaving that weekend was I was amazed at the number of men in this church when I attended worship service. Uh, where we were in Michigan, it was a lot of women who were begging their their husbands to come, and they might come occasionally, but they weren't committed. When I saw the number of men in the worship services, I was like, wow, and they're young, and there's energy. And then when I met the elders, they were actually talking about ministry in a way that was not management. It was cooperation and partnership. And that began to intrigue me, like this is a different place uh, because of the eldership and because of the staff. And just meeting you and several other staff that weekend— there was no pressure. There wasn't a desperation, mm-hmm. nor was there this feeling like we needed someone to rescue us. It was more like, no, we just need someone to come in and play this role with us. And that was what began to move my heart. Like maybe I could fit in there because they don't need me as a savior. They need me as a teammate. Yeah. Was SMC North being built when you came in? Yeah. When we first came here, it was shelled. It was uh, closed up, but nothing on the inside was finished. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember that was the thing that impressed me or surprised me uh, when you're talking about Lynn and and Kent's uh, podcast that Lynn Ragsdale never preached in the old or I guess the third worship center or whatever that that was. And, and, uh, and, but uh, he was the only person in the new, you know, in the one that's now kids club area. I was like, wait a minute. So you built a worship center without a senior minister. So when they built that student ministry center, we built that without a senior minister at that time. Because I know when you got, right before you got ready to move here, it was almost closed up. I mean, it was almost finished and completed. And it's like that would just—it's just what they do, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. which is just totally different. Um, so, uh, do you remember? Uh, just love for you to just talk a little bit about about that. You know what that move was like for your family to get here. It was always an honor to be considered to coming here because I knew people from Christ and Youth who I had traveled with during the summers and taught for. I was meeting the staff. I came back by myself in February after being here about four or five weeks later. The elders asked me to come back, and I met with all the ministry staff. And it was a smaller staff at the time, but I remember spending an hour with each one of you just talking about, A, are you going to be here? Uh, you know, I've, I've used this example before. You want to be the manager of the New York Yankees, but you want to make sure the Derek Jeters and Paul O'Neill stay around. Right. You don't want your best talent to go out the door because you've come. So I came and just tried to hear the heart of the staff. Like, And I think, honestly, I didn't know I was doing it, but what I really needed to hear was, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing here? And Scott, one of the things I'll always acknowledge about uh, you and our relationship is that even when I hear you talking with Lynn and Kent, you're still— have an appreciation from an outsider's viewpoint, like this place doesn't make sense. 
there's nothing so unique about it that God should be, his favor should be on this ministry like it is. So you and I both sit back in appreciation like we get to steward this. It's not ours. Right. And it doesn't really have that much to do with us. We get to be stewards for a season. When I heard Kent's testimony and Lynn tell his story, I'm like, wow, this is exactly what this place does for people in ministry. It's like, I get to be a part of something that's pretty unique and special. Talking to the staff when I came out of that conversation, I went home and I told Heather, I said, I'd be a fool not to go there. I just don't know that I've been called yet to go there. And I really, truthfully before the Lord, he knows this is true. I didn't want to come and ruin what was going on here because I wasn't sure I could do what this church needed me to do. I knew I could preach and I don't know if I could preach well, but I knew I would preach with passion and I would give it my best. But there was a lot of other stuff that comes with being the senior minister here And now I would look back at anybody in the future and say, oh, no, you have the team that takes that pressure off you. You can be one of many. You don't have to be the person driving everything. And that was my fear in coming here. And then I realized through the elders and staff, now this place doesn't need me, but they're inviting me to be a part of it. And that changed everything for us. Yeah. Um, You know, we talked about this the first time that— that we did a podcast together talking a little bit, just going through your story and talking about that, that uh, meeting with the elders, uh, I think at Dan McGrew's house would love for you just to talk about that. Cause he, you know, y- your, your response was one that was a little bit surprising, but I just remember that as like one of those kind of defining moments. Yeah, they were, they knew my hesitancy and, um, you know, they would ask Heather questions about me right in front of me to kind of figure out, the lay of the land, if you will. And Heather, you know, said Mark really loves to preach and that there are certain things that wear him out quicker than others. And Lynn even addressed that in the last podcast, which I appreciated. Like the difference between Lynn and my personality is not that great, but it's unique and distinct. And so when we're having this conversation, uh, they could see my hesitancy and the elders, we started having this playful back and forth. And uh, they were like basically flirting with me about, come on, take us seriously. Why wouldn't you think about coming here? You know, would you give it a a shot if we offered it to you? And so we were having that conversation and Clifford Wirt just stopped the room and he summarized the moment. He goes, it seems to me like you're scared that this church might become a church of 3000. And I just quickly quipped back to him, "Uh, are you scared of it becoming a church of 500? And they all nervously laughed because they, in their minds, never thought it would go backwards. And that just displayed to them where I was. I don't want to be the guy that ruins this good thing. And they all chuckled. And I said, because if you're not willing to take the risk of going backwards, I'm not willing to move my family here to go forward. Right. I I have to know that this won't all be on me. Right. I remember one of the, during one of those visits that you were here and um, we were in the lobby of what's now as our offices. It was the chapel at that time. And you were standing out there, and I'd walked out there. You had just finished up meeting with the elders again, and you you looked at me, and you kind of had this blank look on your face, and you're like, do you think I can do this? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was just the thing where, it, I mean, I think for any of us, it is this thing to where it's like, I remember when uh, someone approached me about possibly coming to Christchurch, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know if— you know, you're yeah. trying to process it, you know, and then you're going like, I don't know if I'm worthy— to be a part of that. Yeah, it's a respectful hesitancy yes, yes. because this is, and then for those of you listening, we're not suggesting at all that Christchurch is a perfect place. Oh my gosh, it's not. 
but man, it's a special place. Yes. And I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure that I didn't cause harm to something that was going so well. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, like, like we talked about, you know, uh, between the, the church grew between Lynn and, I uh, between Kent and Lynn and then between Lynn and you. Yeah. And, and they expected that. And sometimes I look at that and I go like, I don't know if my faith is like I had to, I'm, they, they challenge my faith sometimes by their thinking that, no, God is in the middle of this. This is about Jesus being preached. And we're, if it's Jesus, they can't help but grow. And that's, you know. You know, in a good, good sports analogy, they often say your record is what you are. Yep. So what you all were getting when you were inviting me to consider this was my record wasn't impressive enough to be here. And I looked back on that and I thought there's a reason for that. I mean, my my inadequacies, my immaturity at times, my lack of experience, all of that played into the fact that my record was what it was. And uh, to to come to a place that was just killing it, it's like, man, I don't want to be that the guy that takes them the opposite direction. And, you know, I remember telling you this and telling you the elders, when I asked them how many sermons had they heard me preach, you had a different answer than the elders did. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making fun of the elders, but they'd listened to three. You and some of the other staff had listened to more than three. But I'm like, oh, my goodness. Every preacher's got three good sermons. That's not hard to do. Consistently preaching throughout a year, that takes a little bit more. I wanted to make sure they knew what they were asking to be a part of their team. Right. But when I found out the staff had done that due diligence, the elders were trusting you guys and then that cleared up a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing to where you were just so consistent. And that was the part that to me, I was like, this is going to work. You're so clear of how you explained. Because one of the ones I even remember listening to was you were explaining um, the reason why the Lord's Supper was important. You were just doing a communion meditation. It was one of the ones I had mm-hmm. found. And I was like, okay, if you can take this, it is to talk about every week, but to bring that down to help that person as a very new believer, explain that again of why that's important to walk that through. I was like, this is going to work here because there were so many new believers in this church as well. I was like, I just was just excited what to do. But it was definitely the thing to where you could tell that God was moving, was going to have to move you and your family in a very powerful way to come. Um, and it wasn't because you didn't, you, you could just talk, you wanted to make sure that it was of God, not because of your own want. And Heather and I, my home church that I spent my first 18 years in never got over 125 people to this day. Um, Heather's church was a small church of 150 people. We go to Mount Pleasant, Michigan. It's a church of 140, and it gets up to 300 after 20 years. Mm. And so to come to a church six times the size of that, that was intimidating. Um. Do you remember any challenges of the first, let's say, the first five years of coming to Christ Church, just being a part of, you know, multiple staff, uh, and just because the church began to grow again after you got here? Any challenges that you just remember? <laughs> Everything was so new, not ministry. Walking with people, calling on people, sitting down and answering people's questions and preaching. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, right? I've been given opportunities. I had that experience. But we're here for six to nine months, and it's growing, and people are looking at me like, what do we do next? And I'm laughing going, there's been more growth in my first nine months here than I experienced in 20 years in Michigan. 
So every, everything was like, oh my goodness, we're making this up as we go. And I, you, you talked about it in the last podcast you and I had together uh, to mention it again, none of us, there wasn't a person in the eldership or staff who had led a church that was now 2,000, yep. 2,200, 2,500, yep. 2,800. We were having to learn on the fly. And it was great, though, because we had a competent, talented eldership and a competent, talented staff, and we figured it out. We asked questions. We we went out. That was the first two years here to me. I can't tell you the first six months here. My wife and I both talk about that. We were just not like angry. We were surviving. New location, getting our kids in schools. She'd always lived in Michigan. I'd never left the Midwest. And here we are in a community that's that expected things from us, not overwhelming, but just expected things of us that we were like, okay, here we go. And I we find people who knew who we were and we didn't know who they were. Lynn talked about that. That's been our experience. It's all been good. It was overwhelming to realize, oh, so what do we do now? Because it's growing. And what are we going to do about space? And what are we going to do about this? And I'm just smiling going, I always wanted to be in a growing church. I was, but God was so careful and patient to grow Mount Pleasant in a way that I could I could figure it out. Here, it was like, oh, goodness, buckle up. Everything's coming fast. One of the things that, um, and Lynn and I didn't really touch on this um, when we did the podcast with him, but um, we had a situation where we had shown the congregation different worship centers, the th- every. <laughs> One, God would close one door for whatever reason. We had to go back to the congregation and say, hey, we're not going to completely do that or whatever that that was. And we had built Student Ministry Center North because we had to get somebody out of the building, and we built that building. And the plan was that we told the congregation was, we're going to now, uh, we're going to take the current worship center, which is now our children's area, we're going to knock all the walls out of it, and we're going to make that one large worship center. And we had stepped off. We kind of knew how many chairs that would be able to put in there. And um, I remember sitting in Alan Stanley's office going over something and you come down there and you're looking at numbers. That's one of the things I appreciate is, is that you are a numbers person and you understand how numbers work and, and look at that a lot. Uh, but you walk in there and go, Hey, by the rate of the growth we're going, if we build this in here, in this, you know, in this, in this area and just knock out that wall and remodel it, we're not going to fit. And I remember going like, Oh no! Then what are we gonna do? You know, and that was the really the first time when Lynn. I think uh, you know when we were talking with Lynn, he was talking about different buildings, but um, I think he was really even talking about that build, like that being knocked out, being larger. I don't, I don't think that was quite on the talked about, you know, in that way. But do you remember any of that time of realizing like we're gonna have to build something again? Yeah, remember. So my when I got here, growth was a surprise. That wasn't my experience. We'd have families come in and so forth, and but growth was a surprise. What I realized with the elders, it wasn't arrogance. It was an expectation. Well, God has been doing this with us. Um, Lynn mentioned in the last podcast that he wasn't quite sure the total numbers because everyone thinks if you're in a megachurch, you're counting. No, numbers are trends. So what you and I were looking at was, okay, we're filling up, you know, you can have three worship services, the middle the middle one and the last one will be the highly attended. The first one you're going to have to, it's not ever going to fill the same way the others do. And we were seeing we were going to be out of chairs. To spend all that money to expand that room feet, We, you and I looked at each other and said, no, that's not going to work. If we grow at this steady rate, and 
nothing grows forever. There's always seasons of stop and start, but we realize now we're, we need to actually double the size to be able, and remember our naive dream was to go back to one service. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We actually built this current worship center, believing we could probably go to one service, maybe two. Probably two. Yeah. And we instantly, when we opened it because of God's favor, we had to stay with three. But we also, there was a meeting that you, you called some of us in on to talk about staying with the three services because you had pushback from people telling you, like challenging you yeah. that, no, it needs to be three services still. Yeah, it took me a long time. I didn't ever want to have a growth mindset. It took me a long time here not to be surprised by growing because that if you're surprised by it, you're not prepared for it. If you anticipate God could continue to, to lead us on this trend, then what some of the things we've experienced here, which has been just a joy, like in, as a steward, it's been a joy to be on a team that wins. And it's, you know, it's one of the things where I, I truly believe that there's been moments of where uh, when we didn't know what to do, God always gave a person like an idea or something here. And I have been so grateful for that. And, you know, I talked about this with, you know, with Lynn, that when we talked about this, um, elders wants to figure out how to grow to talk about how to grow to 2000. The only thing that we came up with was wrote on the board, right? grow to, to 2000, um, it meant a different senior minister. It meant another building being built um, that was far larger than anything I ever imagined that we would be able to build and to put the early childhood on there and to do all those things. Um, but it was the thing to where God always seems like he puts the right people at the right time here. And just that's just been something that's been surprising to me. I look back over the roles we get to play. And I look at, listen to Kent's story and realize Kent brought a value to the Sunday morning experience. It wasn't just a tiny little church, the white church building, that family church. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are wonderful for people's development. But he brought some energy or some juice yes. to Sunday mornings. He had to lead into the building, what is now the offices, building or worship center number two. Lynn came in, and as he said, he brought systems to connect people and to just add some elements that made it more sound so everybody could be involved. And Lynn's a great team builder, community builder. He had to lead into a a bigger worship center. So when I get here, based on the work that Kent and Lynn did, I simply added to the structures that they built, not the physical structures, but just added to, hey, this is good. Let's try this. Let's Let's make this more of what we do. And the next thing you know, we're sitting down with the elders. And what people in our church don't realize is there weren't a bunch of us staff that went to the elders and said, we need to build this. We said to them, hey, instead of building what you mentioned earlier, we may have to build a bigger box if we really want to build for growth the way it's trending. And then we never touched it again. Our elders sat down and came up with the plan and vision. They asked us for our input, and we we tweaked some things. You brought in early childhood. You know, we talked about how we're going to do this. But those guys just took off with it because they'd been there before. So what Kent built off of, Lynn built off of, I get to build off of, and whoever follows you and I in the future, right. I hope that we've given them enough that we can simply respond to what God's doing here as a ministry. Guys like Kent, Lynn, and I, we get far too much credit. Th- this was a team. If you just stayed out of the way, it was going to do some pretty amazing things. It's been a joy to be a part of it. One of the things that um, I've heard people say through the years, I was um, at a church uh, camp one time, and 
was talking to these three uh, Ozark Christian college students, and they said they were going to go be a part of a church plant. And um, I said, okay, where are you going? They said, where they're going. I said, you have like a model you're going to use? I goes, well, we're going to use the Christchurch Ornogo, you know, model. And I said, what is that? And they're like, well, have you ever heard of it? And I said, well, I'm on staff there, so I'm kind of curious of what you think that's going to, you know, what that is. And they had said some things, whatever. And I said, you know, I think what the model is, here is that don't be afraid to try something if God's called you to do it. I said, that's the model, really and truly, which is a great thing that if we if we try something and it doesn't work, we can go back, we can talk about it, we can figure out what that is, and that it doesn't cost us. Where I've been on staffs before where if you came up with an idea and you tried it and it didn't work, it's kind of a price to pay for it. And I just don't think that, you know, of all the special things here, what God's done here is because a lot of people have just said, okay, God, do whatever you need to do. And that's hard for people. Well, one of the things I noticed back to a previous question you asked me earlier was the elders here don't have a growth mindset. They have a discipleship mindset. How are we going to care for the people that come here rather than how do we get people to come here? Right. And I so much respect that. Right. And that has been special. Um, One of the things that um, I didn't, I send Mark questions that we were going to talk about here and didn't. Um, put this one uh, in the questions, but you were um, you're the person that kind of started kind of throwing around the idea a little bit of, of right here, right now, years ago. Um, would just love for you just to take a moment just to kind of explain kind of how where, where that came from, you, how God kind of spoke to you about that, and just what that's even become uh, even today still in existence. Uh, one of the challenges for me coming here was how do you pastorally care for people in a church this size? Um, how do you know when someone's hurt in the hospital, had a loss in their family? You know, and I'm smiling at you because we still don't know how to figure that out perfectly. If people don't communicate with us, it's tough to keep track of how many people right now are going through crisis if they don't yell for help. And that's not perfect, but we we just have to manage through that. The other thing was, how do you make a difference? Uh, Rick Russo, uh, a uh, preacher in our movement out in Colorado wrote a book, and he asked a question, and I don't know if it's original with him, but he had it as a source in his book. He said, if Christ Church of Orinogo closed today, who outside of the people that attend here would miss us? What difference are we making outside of Sundays? And that question back when I was in Michigan, young preacher, that stuck in my mind. And what I was nervous about coming here. How do we meet all the community needs and not just be a big church that just keeps building buildings? And how do we how do we disperse God's blessings into the community? So that's always been in my heart as a pastor. And when I got here, when I asked the question, the benevolence, what they would call it, the the, the outreach to the community, helping people who are in crisis, it was not um, um, robust. It was, if you could get in the building and find one of us, we would try to help you. And I thought, we can do better than that. So in a series of events, when we hired Isaac Shade in 2010 to come on staff, part of the interview process when Mark Bond and I flew to Tennessee to interview Isaac was I met Maggie. And when she told me her degree was in social justice, and I began to pick at her a little bit to find out what that meant, I just put that in my back pocket going, okay, here's someone who might help us figure out how to do benevolence. And then we began to look at different models. And this dollar club concept is not original to us, but the way we've modified it for ourselves fits our culture. And that was, we did not want to be self-promoting. 
We were not going to go around the community presenting golf checks to everybody. Look who did what. That Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. So we wanted to follow that model. We wanted to be very humble and we wanted people to have buy-in. And so then Maggie and I started dreaming. And then September of 2010, um, we brought her on to help kick this thing off. And little did we know that Many months later, less than a year later, there'd be a tornado that would rip through our town, and we would then have the structure in place to meet people's needs in a very cool but very godly way. And so I'm just grateful that God spurred that on. Yeah, that was the one thing that um, I was amazed about was is that we had the structure, and you saw other churches that were trying to help as well. We're trying to figure out the structure, and we saw the difficulty of that and was just so grateful that we had gone through that for the past year trying to figure out what that structure looks like. And yeah. And the number I was just blown away by the number of people or other churches that reached out to us and basically sent us money to help get it to the people of Joplin. And that was just a phenomenal uh, thing just to be a part of. Yeah, God's kindness to, to give Maggie and I the ability to sit down and turn her loose and have her build all the, and make all the mistakes in the first four months. But I'll never forget that first Sunday that we announced it was in September or yeah, September of 2010, we announced what we were doing with Right Here, Right Now. And the first dollar we got was from a visiting lady from uh, from Texas mm. who walked up and handed me a $1 bill. And she said, I want to make the first contribution. And I thought, okay, we're on to something. That's that's awesome. During your time at Christ Church, one of the things that we've done as a, uh, uh, as a church has been a church plant. Um, Hope City is, is the uh, church plant that we, it's our first attempt at one. And it's Things have gone pretty well, but <laughs> they've gone excellent. <laughs> but we'd love for you just to even take a little bit of time, just kind of unpack some of that. I became very conscientious after we built our current worship center. Uh, I think the whole project was four, maybe three and a half, four million dollars in totality. The building itself was about three and a half million. I'll just put it that way. And um, you know, and we had uh, a campaign for these kind of things. People were raising money, and so. It was there. And what I didn't want to do, Scott, and you've heard me say this before, so I apologize for the redundancy, but I don't want people to drive by here in 25 years and see a bunch of empty buildings. And th there, there comes a stewardship component here, like how many people are actually going to come out to Orinoco, Missouri? And so with those thoughts in my head and heart, God just kind of laid on me this burden of let's not be greedy and let's not build monument to men let's be wise with what we're doing. And we had a good facility that could be used in multiple ways. And it was very well built uh, by the leadership and designed well. And so I, I looked at that and I said, okay. And then I went to this one particular day, God gets my attention. I go to a preacher's meeting in Joplin and I'm hearing a guy lament how many churches we have in Joplin. And he's making a compelling argument. There's a bunch of little churches. They're not always healthy. And, you know, church plants were coming in and we need to take care of what we had. And I left that meeting convinced that we had too many churches in Joplin. And then I was ready to talk to the elders that night at elders meeting. And I go into the elders meeting and, and out of the blue, when we're sharing prayer requests, things that are going on before Slack and we could update each other in the moment, we'd often have to get in a room and share, Scott, what did you hear this week that I need to know? And what did I hear? Well, the elders did that too. And Dan McGrew, one of our elders, without even knowing it, what God was doing, Dan just said out loud, you know how I was thinking, if you took uh, Forrest Park and and Carterville and College Heights and us and a couple other churches he mentioned, he said their total attendance would fall somewhere in about 7,000 people. He said if you took all the other churches and made them churches of 150, 
He said, we're probably only seeing about 10 to 12,000 people in Joplin go to church. He said, we're a town of 65,000 to 75,000 people. He said, I, where, what are we going to do for all those people? Mm. That morning, I hear we have too many. That night, I hear there's opportunity. And combine that with the thought, I don't want to build a bunch of more buildings, assuming we can beg people to come out here to the farm. And then I just went to Alan Stanley and I said, hey, can you give me the numbers of the people that live in Joplin that attend our church that give? So we would know they're committed to us and they come regularly. That's how you'd find out a regular giver is not whether they give money, but right. have they been consistently us for a long time? And then we took 7th Street in Joplin. For those of you who don't know, that's a pretty major corridor in the city. It doesn't divide it in half, but pretty much it's close enough. And Alan showed me that we had roughly, I think at that time, the number's vague, but I think it was like 250 families that lived south of 7th Street that were driving 15, 20 minutes out to our campus. And I said, well, that's a church. We have a church south of 7th Street. We just don't have a location. And then I went back to the elders two weeks later, and I dropped this on them. And I said, what would you think? Instead of trying to build for growth, how about we just skim off those people who live in Joplin, who can't really invite their neighbors to come to church with them. Let's create a community down there of our people. Let's give those people away. That will then free up space on our campus, and it will give them a chance to serve and lead in ways they haven't. And that's how it all began. And the elders, it were, they were gracious. Right away, they're like, yeah, let's do that. Now, mind you, none of us had ever done this before. There was nobody on our staff that had planted a church. So, that's why we're smiling at each other right now going, we found the right planter, we found the right location, and God did a movement of people in Hope City's, my goodness, closing on, in on 2,000 if they're not over that. And they're meeting people in Joplin we never would have met out here. Yeah. And I look at that, what did God do? Because I feel like our elders weren't greedy and the amount of money that we needed to raise to birth that thing was ridiculous and God provided it and we gave it away and they've used it really well. And we look at Hope City, like within one year of them launching, they were independent of us. Yeah, because they opened in April of 2014. And for, and Easter of 14. I'm sorry, yeah, 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 but yep. 2014. And then, what, by Christmas that year, they were basically self-sufficient? Yeah, in January, Cody and I had a conversation where he said, at our one-year anniversary, we will no longer need the financial support and— and they had an eldership established, and they just took off, and it was amazing. Wow. But I just look at that going, it was awesome. That Why God would lay a burden on me that we're not, we don't need to build again. Now, that doesn't mean we would never build again, but I love the elders here. Like, hey, if we're going to build, it's going to be for discipleship. It's not going to be for crowds. Yeah. And the, and the strange thing about that, even that wasn't the initial location that you and other people felt that it would be. The other doors kept closing and then the conversation just but the but the conversation continues to happen and I think that for those listening I think that's the important thing also is is that when God puts a burden on your heart you know again you just got to let it just keep processing through where that is yeah we and we didn't want to clone this church right we wanted to create children right that grow up and mature and start walking in their own faith and so our model here with no judgment on others is we just are not comfortable, nor do we think it's our calling to plant, you know, CCOs all over the place. Because there's something unique about this place. 
it's not going to transfer right. to other locations. It's just unique. We're a big country church, and we want to plant children around the area. And hopefully, if God continues to bring growth here, we'll find another location where people need a New Testament church, and off we go. How long have you now been the senior minister? 14 years. 14 years. What would you say is two or three things that God's taught you during that time? Oh, he doesn't need any of us. <laughs> it's <was> so refreshing. <laughs> he does not need me. I'm not important. I get to be useful, and I am so grateful for that. I knew that in my heart. I felt pressure, and it was all internal. It wasn't outside of sources. I put an internal pressure on myself in Michigan that I had to be so complete in every area of what a pastor has to do in a smaller church, and I wasn't. And then it it, it broke me. It just did. I disappointed myself and I became, I just, it broke me. And I'm embarrassed to say that, but I have to be honest, I was. Second thing I really learned is that you, um, when you bring people on your team, they have to understand the lay of the land. Joplin's not for everybody. I find it a wonderful place to live. And I'm glad that I got to raise my youngest son here. And he had a great experience growing up in this area, but it's not for everybody. And building culture on the team matters. And you know this because you were so heavy involved in the hiring previous to me. You know this more. The people that get what Joplin is and what this church is, they'll stay a long, long time right. and serve with you. Other people, no harm, no foul. But if they don't love the culture, it's just a job. And at that point in time, it's nice to release them to places. And I've seen people leave here and prosper in other areas, so it's all good. And the third thing is um, an eldership that doesn't play by authority, but it plays by submission and prayer and loving each other and caring for the church, that that church will grow anywhere. So probably those are my three summaries. Is the, the key to this church is the leadership of the entire church, not just the elders, but it starts with them. This church will be fine when you and I are gone yep. because the people here love this church and will pay the price to make sure it stays on track. That's not a pastor. That's not a, a lead elder. It really is a, a beautiful thing. And I tell people all the time, man, you can have an Orinoga wherever you're at. If the eldership will start by not practicing authority, but actually practicing discipleship, and caring for people, God will grow something. Um, when you listen to Kent and Lynn's uh, stories, what part resonated with you of either one of theirs? Was there anything in there that really, like I totally get that, or yeah, that, that surprises me? Or Listening to both of them, what I really appreciated is they feel about this place like I feel about this place. It's an honor to have been here. And I know both of them left to go do different things, and that's a calling in their lives, and they made choices, but they look back fondly, like what they got to learn here and experience. And both of them admitted, as I'm willing to admit, they were not complete enough to take this responsibility, but the church worked with them and let them grow up and experience things. And like you said, you can fail here, and it's not a personal failure. We just figure out how not to do it again, right. and you just become good at it. Right. Um Last question mm -hmm. and is, uh, what's been one of the most fun sermon series that you've got to develop and be a part of while you're here? That's something that you you do better at that than anybody I've ever seen. But what is like one of the sermon series you look at and you go, that was a lot of fun preaching that or just being a part of that one? Uh, this is so easy. What church would let a preacher go 148 weeks to the story of Jesus? to be able to preach the gospel 148 weeks 
And I'm sure people got tired of graphics or whatever, but to hear the elders laugh and go, well, if they get tired of hearing about Jesus, we're not the place for them. And I am, I always wanted to do it. I I did a smaller version of it in Michigan. I did the teachings of Jesus called the red letter Jesus, but now you can't even use that because it's been stolen from the liberal side of the faith. But to be able to preach the gospel for 148 weeks, two and a half years of preaching through the the stories of Jesus and just a chronological take, uh, so privileged to get, to have gotten to do that. And it's something that I look back on now. I'm not proud that I did it. I'm actually excited that I got to experience that and our church got to experience that. And if you look at our church grew during that, yeah. if we draw people's attention to Jesus— He's going to grow his church. Absolutely. So that is a blessing. Most churches would, I mean, listen, you know, you were in some of the meetings. There were some people who were like, oh, we're going to get bored of that. And I was like, can we try it? And the elders are like, let's try it. And I'm so grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone called me one time and said, have you really been doing like a sermon series for over a year now? (laughs) I was like, yeah, we're doing the teachings of Jesus. And they're like, I didn't know they could last that long. And I was like, absolutely. They're like, how's that work? I go, great. Yeah. So that's it's just, funny because every year I'll get a survey from there's a class that asks Ozark students to to go out and query preachers about to, how do they preach the gospel and everything. And I always love when I get that email because I say, you're not going to believe my answer. <laughs> they let me do two and a half years Yeah, through the stories of Jesus. Every text we got to preach. What's your, um, and this really is the last question, your, the next 70 years of this church, what is one thing that you just pray about when you think about that? I pray that they will always make sure that the text wins on Sunday mornings. Hmm. That, and I'm not saying we do it better than anybody else, but I believe people are hungering for the Word of God, and we're hearing that here. The worship is fantastic, and the preacher is who he is, and the style is what they—but people come expecting to learn something or to be made to think, and they want scriptures. They don't care about my opinion. They don't want the front page of the Joplin Globe. They want to dig into the Word of God so they know God better through it. And I would just pray over this church that it will continue to do what it's done. Since Kent on forward, you hear him talk about it. The the three men that have been privileged to be the preachers here preached Scripture. And if this church loses its moorings, it's not going to become what God wants it to become. Right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this. Um, it's been a, a great journey just to see what God has done. And and for you listening to this podcast, if you know someone that could be encouraged by this or they've been part of Christ Church somewhere through these 70 years, and uh, just let them know about this. And just, again, our goal is with the Pathways podcast is just for you to, to be able to continue growing in your walk with Jesus and being complete in Jesus. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a part. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.